0: You're listening to Igniting Imagination, a podcast to spark the spirit within you from Wesleyan Impact Partners. Discover how you can join us in a spirit-led movement to bring about human flourishing grounded in love, generosity, and belonging by visiting ignitingimagination.org. Hello, friends, and welcome back to Igniting Imagination. I'm your host, Lisa Greenwood, and in this season, we're exploring the theme of sanctifying friendship. All of our guests this season are helping us to dig deeper into what sanctifying friendship means for us as individuals, as leaders, and for the church. So if you haven't had a chance to hear from Victoria White in Episode 1 and Matt Rawl and Rachel Billups in Episode 2, I hope you'll get a chance to listen. Today's conversation with dear friends Matt Russell and Cleve Tinsley is one of those that I'll just say, if you're driving, you may want to save this and listen at another time when you can take notes or simply be fully immersed in the conversation, because this conversation feels like an experience of the holy. This conversation gives us language and insight that sanctifying friendships are a work of the Spirit— bringing us together, pulling us together for such a time as this. And one little audio note here, we've learned that with holy friends, there is a lot of holy laughter. And there was, in fact, so much laughter in this conversation between Matt and Cleve that they would tend to mute themselves at various times because they were laughing and chuckling and didn't want to interrupt the other. So you might not pick up on all the laughter. I wish you could see the video because it's there and it's an important part of this lovely, beautiful friendship that they have with each other. Matt Russell and Cleve Tinsley's bios are available in our show notes and on the episode page on our website, ignitingimagination.org. I hope you'll check that out because they they both are doing amazing work. And finally... Here's a poem by David White that pulls on some threads that you will hear in our conversation with Matt and Cleve Tensley. It's a little long, and so I want you to hear that it's worth the listen. We've asked our good friend and colleague, Rev. John Thorberg to read it for us.
1: Friendship is a mirror to presence and a testament to forgiveness. Friendship not only helps us see ourselves through another's eyes, but can be sustained over the years only with someone who has repeatedly forgiven us for our trespasses, as we must find it in ourselves to forgive them in turn. A friend knows our difficulties and shadows and remains in sight a companion to our vulnerabilities more than our triumphs. When we are under the strange illusion, we do not need them. An undercurrent of real friendship is a blessing exactly because its elemental form is rediscovered again and again through understanding and mercy. All friendships of any length are based on a continued mutual forgiveness. Without tolerance and mercy, all friendships die. In the course of years, a close friendship will always reveal the shadow in the other as much as ourselves. To remain friends, we must know the other and their difficulties and even their sins and encourage the best in them, not through critique, but through addressing the better part of them, the leading creative edge of their incarnation, thus subtly discouraging what makes them smaller, less generous, less of themselves. Through the eyes of a real friendship, An individual is larger than their everyday actions. And through the eyes of another, we receive a greater sense of our own personhood, one we can aspire to, the one in whom they have most faith. Friendship is a moving frontier of understanding, not only of the self and the other, but also of a possible and as yet unlived future.
0: I am so excited about this conversation. Cleve Tinsley, welcome.
2: Thanks for having me. So delighted delighted to be here today.
0: And Matt Russell, my friend, so glad to see you. Well, It's great to be a part
3: of this again. Thanks so much for having us.
0: All right, let's just jump right in you two. I, I wanna start with the story of your friendship. How did you two become friends?
2: <laughs> Cleve, I'm uh, going mean, to let how you do, I, <laughs> I said, How do you want to start? I mean, yeah. um, uh. it's a story.
0: Yeah.
2: So, I mean, I, f- from my understanding, is our audience is, is mostly clergy or laypersons who are pretty familiar with the Christian narrative and story. And Madden and I's meeting really is about ministry, about ministry mm-hmm. outside of the institutional walls And both of us. Ah, uh, pressing toward our sense of calling back in uh, two thousand and fifteen, during the, what was called the movement of Black lives Matters across Houston, Sandra bland happened. Mm-hmm. And at the time I was I was a graduate student at Rice, really grappling with uh, Lisa, my sense of call, meaning, what did my uh, deep sense of black spirituality have to do with this latter iteration of movement and this press that this community made toward institutional churches, meaning, in what ways can you contribute to this movement given this new uh, cultural zeitgeist? Meaning Mm -hmm. at this time, this is, millennials are at a height during this time. And they began doing a couple of things. First, they began saying, we have to be more inclusive in these movements. Two, no longer do we want uh, a single cultural representative. And also there are other cultural institutions within our communities that speak to the needs of specifically uh, the poor black working class community, right? And so for me i began grappling what did my i'm an ordained baptist minister uh, at the time in graduate school studying religion largely i was grappling with what do i do with this tension between wanting to uh, be relevant to the new expressions and modes that were existing at this time and also my my relationship with at the time the black baptist tradition but i started also engaging with uh, black methodists as well who were part of the umc church and um and so 2015-16, 2015-16, Matt and I are working simultaneously. but Matt is also concerned more broadly with social justice issues, and he done a large work around incarceration. And of course, because of his own, like mine, he, uh, our personal experiences kind of shaped some of our engagement. And so he was really engaged with uh, the Latino community as well because of personal concerns. And uh, and we our paths crossed because at that that time, a lot of things began happening, right? Mm. Uh, Alton Sterling, Philando Castile, mm. uh, all the Dallas police officers. And then what happened, religious communities finally say, hey, can't we just all get along to use the Rodney King phrase, right? And But there was a tension there. Like I said, you know, Matt knew that there was a different way and he's leading white progressive churches, United Methodists. And uh, really the story is uh, Matt's reaching out to, hey, who's speaking on these matters? And uh, a group of United Methodists Uh, prominent Black United Methodist ministers uh, I was in conversation with as well with a a bunch of Black clergy in the city, and they reached out uh, to me because Matt was organizing a a kind of vigil to have at St. Paul's United Methodist Church. And at the time, the Black community, but Black clergy would also, everybody was upset and angry, didn't have Mm -hmm. the necessary vocabulary that they were interested in speaking in the, the usual ways. And uh, what began to happen, I, uh, I was reached out to and said, hey, Cleve, these are some issues here, some frustrations, but we don't want to speak on it. And uh, I found myself having a conversation and I said, okay, that's great, but are you sure you want me to speak on it? Because I have no <laughs> stake in the game, <laughs> you know? Uh, and um, and I'm just going to say it like I feel it, right? And uh, it's something going to happen. Matt arranged this. Uh, we had other tangential relationships. We both had uh, bona fides in our communities for working and so this was an opportunity for us to come together we didn't really know each other we knew of each other and this vigil came uh and it was a beautiful kind of uh disruption i'll say it that way <laughs> and now and uh for matt from matt and the united Methodist community it was a kind of disorientation for me and my community it was a kind of reckoning with christian symbols and and christian way of life and it started mm-hmm. uh it forced matt and i to have a conversation because he and i both Ah, persons of deep integrity. So for us, it wasn't just about coming together to have uh, one kind of visual. We had to figure out what is it meant for us for divinity's sake, for eternity's sake, why are we meeting at this mm-hmm. time? And can we do it in a way that upholds the humanity integrity of how we move through the world? Because I think we both were interested in not just forging a solidarity uh, representationally, but we also are persons who are deeply committed to relationships and to personality. And uh, so we had to meet and have long conversations. And so I, I'll pause there and let Matt take it up from there. We had a long three-hour wine meeting that wasn't so, you know, it wasn't so uh, pleasant. Let's say it that way, you know. <laughs> and I'll just <laughs> and I yield to my friend, let him talk more about how we came to covenant with each other. Yeah,
3: yeah, yeah. I wish I wish I could say we met on a dating app or something, right? You know, um, because that would be like romantic. And it was it was really. To tell you the truth, is forged in fire, and I didn't think the fact that we're like um, in love with each other and have made covenant with one another is, is probably the most shocking event of my life for a thousand different reasons. Um, but one of those is, I mean, I was raised in kind of a progressive evangelical Methodist kind of movement where we were using a lot of words around reconciliation. Right, and so I was really bathed in, and really born out of this kind of reconciling movement, particularly when it came to kind of uh, well everything, race and gender and all of those things. Right. Mm-hmm. So, um, and so when 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 Alton Sterling and Orlando Castillo's uh, murders happened, deaths happened. I think there was a real. I didn't realize this at the time, but um, really what what we were doing in the white church was kind of wanting to come together with folks and kind of sing kumbaya. Not not in that like that kind of um, grotesque of a way, but really that's what we were doing. Mm. I think we were wanting to hold hands with black folks and say, we're not the bad white people. And so um when I when I met Cleve, I was really intimidated mm. for a good reason. Um, not because he's brilliant and incredibly good-looking, which he is in both regards, but uh, <laughs> but really because he was, and he'll say he was not beholden to, uh, to anyone, which is true, but he was a part of a community that was liberated within <clears throat> their own black bodies and identities in a way I had never experienced. And they were using language... In a different way, not to really make friends as if friendship was going to be the change of the um, of of the dynamics of race in the world, but if people would join them in the trenches and put their own sense of self-identity and reputation mm-hmm. at bay. And and quite frankly, you know, I wasn't sure I I, I was kinda hoping that we could We could play nice together in in the culture. And that if everybody just kind of, like he had said, you know, if everybody just kind of got along, the problem we had was that we just didn't understand each other. And if we all just were nice to each other, we could really, you know, we could change some stuff. Well, that became an education for me. And really, my friendship, really, it wasn't, I wouldn't, I think using the word friendship at this point would be too, it would it would not be the right word. Our connection at that point really was prophetic in some ways for me. I sat in that vigil that we had at St. Paul's, and I wanted to crawl out of my skin. I think we had seven eight hundred folks in that in, in the sanctuary that evening, and there was a part of me that was just like, "What the hell is happening?" Mm. Like what was happening up front was. Not what I had envisioned happening. We were not getting to Kumbaya quick enough, <laughs> uh, <laughs> and so and what I realized, and I felt the Holy Spirit say this to me in a way that, and I, I, I probably shouldn't say this out loud, but I don't feel the Holy Spirit talks to me a lot, but I felt the Holy Spirit say to me, "How does it feel not to be controlling the narrative?" Mm. And I was wow. like. It sucks to not, you know, it, it's, I, it's, I don't like this, mm. you know, right? And so I felt like for a moment in my entire lifetime, and, and I had enough, I think I had enough stupidity at the time not to, to know that we shouldn't be up front, that white folks needed to take a back seat. Um, but what was happening up front was a liberated movement that, I did not have one experience in, and I did not have language for, and I did not have access to. Mm. And I realized that the Holy Spirit was operating in a place that I did not know how to get to. and. I was left behind. And this is the rapture. <laughs> right? <laughs> I'm I'm playing church in a way and the Holy Spirit wasn't in that church. Wow. The Holy Spirit was no longer in that that, that paradigm of religious community because we had uh, owned it, we had operated in it and we could control
0: it.
1: Yeah.
3: And it was um, it was really cleave in the community that he was a part of uh, poked a hole in that. Mm. And um and that that lunch date the next day after after that we got together. I asked him if we could get together. He was he he had no desire. <laughs> and that's a, that's the truth. <laughs> you talk about having to pursue a man.
2: <laughs> uh, but before and, before you go there, uh, I got, want to it's an important it's an important <laughs> juncture I wanna I wanna capture. Something Matthew mentioned that's very important. He he talks about, which is right, about having access. That was the whole purpose both of my presentation and also my colleagues who did a different ritual activity, we understood uh, that the maintenance and securing of certain kinds of power, we be it uh, kind of coercive power or a helpful kind of authority, rest in who controls the discourse and who does the representation of such discourses. And so for me intentionally that day, and I said it out publicly, I said, what happens if we uh, take away the great reformers calvin zwingli and luther and talk about instead folks like kong gutierrez and other folks and they'd be the starting point for shaping the kinds of discourse we have right this kind Mm -hmm. of historically oppressed community language being centered first and then what if we also change the ways you're used to doing ritual activity if it's outside of the kind of protestant way of doing it but it's still a ritual activity still very much christian but it also centers martyrs from different communities namely the black community because we understood at that time uh that it's you know it's easy to have general discourse about marginalized communities but here what this movement did really centered the two poles that is very most difficult to talk about namely black and white right we can get in the spectrum as which you want to but these two poles are always going to be yeah. the most uh, kind of antagonistic you know and so that was a visible demonstration of it, but then the next day, I mean, I appreciate Matt for pressing in. Uh, Matt wanted to not just figure out what was going on, but uh, something nudged him uh, to say, hey, there's something more you need to discover. And uh, that's what came to our conversation. Just wanted to kind of say that before we went went forward. Everything.
0: Well, and uh, this, this is incredible. I want to jump in because what you have <laughs> just described, you've named all this tension. I mean, the reality of so many layers of who controls the narrative, of who has power, of, um, Mm -hmm. you know, black and white. And I'm looking at at two deeply committed friends. And and so, Mm -hmm. (laughs) and you've just described sort of the chasm and the tension and the discomfort Mm
3: -hmm, and mm -hmm. the
0: reluctance. And so I'd love, Mm -hmm, I mean, mm -hmm. draw me in with the, with the, the pivot yeah. and what happened and how you moved from there to where you are.
2: So, yeah. So Matthew and I, I think, I think what 2016, 17. We over the years we, we used to we used to describe it in different ways. Mm-hmm. The first couple yeah. of years we were very careful. We were very careful about let's say it the right way. But now, in hindsight, we like listen. It was nothing but God, nothing yeah. but Spirit. Mm-hmm. I yeah. guarantee that's all I can say to you. I, there's no other rational explanation I can give you. No. Other than it was nothing in the spirit of god that told us that we were coming together Uh, that was our future whether you can feel it now or not Can, can I can I say this? Go I ahead, think the, I
3: think the spirit had to tell cleave that Because I yeah. think that I was yeah. still under the spell Of something that I thought I could do something right mm-hmm. right, I, I still felt like that I could have uh, I could learn something. I could have the right knowledge about something. the the mm-hmm. the, the The issue was that all of that, for me and my background as a white progressive evangelical, was that it was really a protective factor. Mm-hmm. and And I had, I think, at that time, I had really gotten. I've been interested for a while about kenosis, about this 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 idea of self-emptying. Really, it was about my own recovery that drew me into that. I didn't mm. know that that was going to be a precursor to the addiction mm. to power and status and money and everything wow. else yes. that I had been uh, fortified with. Right? Wow. And wow. so when I met Cleve, Cleve had, and Cleve had said, "I you know I'll have lunch with you, but I I don't have time for white people." and white friends because i and yeah, yeah. and particularly white church friends mm-hmm. right i don't um, want to do it your wasn't work for you. Th- thank you
0: do your own work
3: <laughs> well it wasn't even that it mm-hmm. wasn't even that it was like it was it it was the fact and I, I don't know if you have ever seen 12 years a slave mm-hmm. um, there's a there's mm-hmm. a scene in that actually that um, mm-hmm. one of our friends helped me understand where this black man was befriended by two white guys Right. And they would wind and dine for this new business. And basically, it was nefarious. What they were doing mm-hmm. was really mm-hmm. setting a trap mm-hmm. in order to mm-hmm. um, um, to enslave him and take him uh, south mm-hmm. and to mm-hmm. detach him from all of the things that he, all the liberties, all, all of this sense had. of family and community, all that. Yeah. Yeah. And so. Yeah. Uh, One of the friends in our community said this is this is we're very suspicious that there's always an agenda working for white people. And Mm. it always uh, is not um, uh, to our favor or to our benefit or it's never mutual. Right. Mm. And so Mm. um, I think that 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 was an education for me to realize that. That I might be the nicest guy in the world. It doesn't matter. Mm. Am I and I involved in the effort of of liberty and community? And that's not mm. just from a position of writing letters to the editor. That's showing up mm. and actually having skin in the game. I, I that was an education mm. that I received mm. in this relationship with Cleve in this community.
2: I think um, if I would add for me, I think what Matt is talking about, there was just there was a, a kind of A wall that I had built uh, for several reasons one because of uh, a kind of Even among the black bourgeoisie or those who like we have these conversations who have uh, A cross-pollination that most let's say white progressive christians have discourse and Relationship with this is my own internal community critique. There's a, a, a Danger of assimilation right to say now that I have access to this It's danger when anybody has access to power, but especially marginalized groups, because marginalized groups have never had this kind of access. And so even the most radical of those who might can speak the language will change when they get around a whole bunch of people who have money and access and privilege, right? just so happened in this case, Matt chose someone who didn't care, right? Um, (laughs) um, And the very first act he had to do for me, I said, before we can have any conversation, Mm -hmm. you need to tell me about my friend, I heard you messed over, right? And so for me, it was a kind of a radical kind of community commitment I I always had. Uh, And I'll be honest with you, I think at the time, uh, also a kind of uh, disenchantment even I had with my own black evangelicalism. Because for me, I was like, if the black evangelicalism is not working, not here, I might be on my way out the door. Yeah. Right? So in many ways, in hindsight, me and Matt talk about it all the time. If it were not for this struggle, because for me, I wasn't struggling in the churches anymore. Not in my churches, because mm-hmm. they weren't speaking to it anymore. Mm-hmm. So I was in grad school and out in the community, right? I was like, I'm done because y'all are not helping me. I said, but here's maybe a third way, maybe we can unite somebody who else calls themselves Christian. Let's see if this stuff really works. So for me, it was the last test of theological mm-hmm. orientation at all for me. Wow. Yeah. I was on I was on the way out, right? Mm-hmm. Um so those were important factors that 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 came to it. And so this relationship. Not only was about community struggle, but also was, in many ways was salvific for my sense of faith orientation. In the in the end, both of ours, both yeah, of ours. exactly right. It was a mutual
3: saving. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. I think you're on your way out. I was on my way into deeper sleep, right? Mm, because wow. if, if the words of Jesus are about waking up, yeah. and my yeah. religion had definitely put me to sleep doing the right things, right? Yeah. But I was on my way to sleep. Yeah. Um, and, um, and I think that our friendship woke me up is waking me up. Wow. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Cause I had just, in, I had just left like 2011, 2012, I just left an executive minister position at a large church in Houston, 20,000 members. And I, and I was in grad school given this critical space to think about what this really means. I had practiced for a long time, but this new, I think for both of us on different sides, this new movement challenged us to think about how does. Uh, how does this our religiosity how? Because it be deployed in this moment in ways we see it being ineffectively done uh, by those trying to maintain our institutions. Yeah.
0: So I I, I want to get to sort of the church's role in this, um, but I I want to stay a minute longer, a few minutes longer with just coming at this from your different places and knowing, I mean, we can look at all kinds of demographic research that says the U S is becoming more racially and ethnically diverse and, and, and we can go on and on. But what we also see is a kind of social sorting by social media and other where we tend to hang out with, be friends with folks who Mm. look, act, talk, live like we do. And so I'd really would love to hear you all speak into at the level uh, that you are sharing about how how can we build friendships across these divides and why does it matter or does it mm-hmm. matter and and certainly uh, obviously come at it through the lens of your own experience and and your friendship but is there wisdom that you would offer to folks or even yes, is so it I- important will you speak to that yeah
2: no, it's, it's very important. I think, you know, we, and Matt has been able to observe from my perspective a kind of constant critical assessment of how I do it in my own community, for instance. So we, we, are, we, relative, we recognize our relative privilege as cis heterosexual men in these religious environments that kind of favor us to a degree, right? For me, though, I, I discovered I had a different kind of formative experience. Yes, I had the privilege of being a graduate student and going to PhD, but most of the, um, my colleagues came from different kind of environments. They both came two-parent, black middle-class environments. And so uh, they were very good at developing the vocabulary and language, but as, as it relates to kind of felt experience, the palpable experience that folks had, mm-hmm. there was a kind of disconnect, right? And, you know, even now, I mean, I'm recognizing later on, that like, ah, oh, there's a major difference. Now I get it. Meaning, um, for me, there's different conversations I have, say, if I'm at a table with a group of, Black cultural elites, then I'm, and I am from communities that have similar provenances, like me. Right? Um, there's a kind of empathic, not only engagement, but also understanding. I believe a kind of really spirit of knowledge that comes from folk who have these real experiences. Is why uh, all the folks who are part of this liberation theology theology strand talk about why it's important to understand the experiences of folk on this, because though we come from the same communities. There are different black mm. communities, different white communities, as long as we use these things. Mm. And unless we are able to kind of get access to all these different gradations of community along lines of SES, along lines of all this stuff, you're always gonna be missing something, right? And what you'll discover the more what I've discovered is the more and more I move in there are several different communities now, especially in black communities here in Richmond, you realize that even within community, there are different stakes that people have, right? Um, uh, and so it's an ongoing lesson, you know? So for me, what it requires is how do I leverage, uh, the relative privilege I've had, not only as an ordained minister, but as a person who had education, but also who a person who's from these environments who are, are most often neglected and, and not taken care of, right? How do I make sure I have access to the workings of these world? And so for me, and I think for Matt as well, I know for me, I had to make sure I surround myself with folks who had different experiences. Mm different vantage points, but also who was able, I'm able to be accountable with. And so I don't move, matter to tell you, without a group really of Black women who always hold me accountable to what I'm saying. But even beyond that, I hold myself accountable to a group of Black community who have a different whole language set of communities. Mm-hmm. So it's mm-hmm. important, and, and only I can speak for my community, and we've learned it largely in our cohorts and mm-hmm. setting. But what I've learned is that if I am not regularly doing the work of Jesus, which is Place in oneself. Jesus always took himself among those called "quote unquote" the sinners, mm-hmm. right? Unless we're actually putting ourselves, dislocating ourselves from our comfort and convenience, right, mm-hmm. and not get so caught up at our places at different tables, then we can never really be transformative in the way we want to claim to that's be. Right. That's right. And that's my own personal lesson. And uh, and Matt and I had a rough not on that start, but we also came together at the beginning of Trump's election, so that took us apart for about a month or so you know what i mean <laughs> but uh so it it was it was tumultuous
0: yeah, yeah. and i'm yeah. hearing the intentionality in that like you said this this is important yeah. and and whether you grew in that over time i mean i'm i'm hearing that was part of it too but but also just oh, yeah. the intentional oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. leaning in to these places of discomfort and disconnection mm. and tension um, because you knew you would grow and be shaped.
3: I think that early on one of the things that, that connected us is that we, we had mothers mm. that were mm. probably really mm-hmm. similar in some ways. Yeah. Yeah. I have a love I'd love for, you know, I would have loved for my mother to have met Cleve's mother. And I think in some ways there was mother energy and, and connection in that way that I can't still explain, mm-hmm. but kept mm-hmm. me present in a way that really, I think, had benefit um, later. I also think that there was an, um, because of my Methodist roots, there was a social imagination mm, that, that um, outstrips the um, ecclesial experience I had. And I kept mm-hmm. wondering, like, when does this happen? When does the mm. things that you know we talk about as mm. Wesleyan, you mm-hmm. know, when does that you know or the gospel, when does that stuff happen? You know, mm. not the signs and wonders stuff. I'm talking about a new world order, or social relationships ordered differently, right? Yeah. And yeah. and I kept waiting for that to happen, and 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 being the person that you know that kind of was chosen by God as a white male, you know, person to help that, you know, and all that kind of got disrupted in my relationship with Cleve and in the work that we were doing in the city at the time. And so I think that, one, I was at a really tender point in my own spiritual Mm -hmm. development Mm -hmm. Like Cleve was at a different point. I think we connected at this space. I still yeah, really don't yeah. necessarily have language for, yeah, but we yeah. leaned in at a place of vulnerability right, where it right. looked pretty invulnerable on the outside. Mm-hmm. You know, right, I think that right. if we were to have passed each other and read each yeah. other's kind of you know posture, I would have said, "Oh yeah,
2: that." Yeah, I think I would add. Yeah, we, I think we were both further refining and defining our sense of calling. What that meant, mm-hmm. I think Matt yeah. touched upon it. I said it earlier, when we were in England together, there was an image of uh, Wesley and King, and mm. for me, uh, recently I had a chance right. to go to um, a prestigious institution in Black HBCU culture called Morehouse, and we were there, yeah. and uh, they described it as a kind of uh, Black social gospel tradition, meaning that I knew uh, I came from a prophetic strand of Black evangelicalism, and I need to figure out what it meant in this world today. Matthew yeah. likewise was connected to this deep social gospel movement and Wesleyanism. So there was a deep prophetic connection we shared. We didn't know how to get at it. Yeah. We knew that something was missing. Uh, but both of us were at, I think had gotten to the point where we were fed up with saying, hey, something has to change here, our God. Because if not, we don't know what we're called to. I just know I don't fit in that paradigm anymore. Right. Yeah. So we got to figure this thing out together. And what we did know is, we, me and Matt, we, we knew all the language, we knew the theologies, we knew all of that, but we had to try to make it make sense in the world. And that's kind of where we were at the time, yeah. yeah.
0: I love that when you're talking about your friendship, you're digging into your own soul wanderings and wonderings, and your own soul struggle, and that that mm-hmm. was a place of connection, mm-hmm. which mm-hmm. which makes sense. It makes all the sense in the world, right? It's how when we get really real with ourselves then we're open to these relationships i you two are two of the most creative inspired courageous people i know and i i would love to hear how this particular friendship i know you both have lots of people around you and lots of relationships and but mm-hmm. how this friendship has Im- Impacted your ability to be creative and imaginative, and, and can you draw a line from this friendship to thriving?
2: Yeah. So I mean, I I know I um, I am probably fundamentally a different human because of Matthew. Mm-hmm. Meaning, I've tested the, the the boundaries of what it means to be a friend through my relationship mm-hmm. with him. One, you couldn't have ever told me one day I have a white friend, but also to have one of my best friends to be a white man, yeah. not with the kind of kind of upbringing I came up with, not with the kind of constant uh, beating a back back against the kinds of stereotypes for folk who have to move through certain, certain systems. And as it relates to our creativity, we always, what Matthew and I also share is we have these vivid, wild imaginations. We just refuse to believe that things gotta be like they are, right? We, just, I mean, whenever we're together, we are literally kids. We say our kids are out, and if we're in private, you, you you wouldn't believe we are what the resume might say if you saw us in private, because none of that crap matters. Uh, we cry together. We just like yeah. throw everything away. And so I think our creativity is sparked by each other because we really do have soul partners to say, no, there's a different way possible. And we have yeah. somebody saying to each other, yeah, Cleve, I know you got 20 meetings. I'm like, yeah, Matthew, I know you got 500 meetings, but do you know what the really most important part of your day was? What? That prayer you had with your son when you walked with him, mm-hmm. I don't care if you did nothing else today, <laughs> that, that was right. most important, right? And so I think, you know, our ability to keep each other's humanity lifted mm-hmm. and our mm-hmm. friendship not only being forged in fire, it forced us to kind of be vulnerable with each other. Mm-hmm. Uh, and anyway, I've never been more vulnerable with uh, anybody I have Matthew. He is my best friend. Mm-hmm. And, you know, men move through the world uh, a bit different, especially those of us who have this kind of... <laughs> rigorous kind of boy. Well, people think we're so rough together, rough and stuff. <laughs> and, um, uh, when we together, we are like kids. I mean, he is my best friend. He's seen me through most of my transitions. We talk about everything that we can't talk to anybody else about. We hate that, um, uh, we have to get a podcast before we see each other because our, our schedules are so darn busy <laughs> that the only time we come together is we gotta do something. Oh, we gotta be there at the same time. Okay, see you then. <laughs> you know. <laughs> Otherwise we plan phone tag, you You're know. are
1: welcome.
2: Uh, <laughs> yeah, well, so we yeah, appreciate it. Well. So like we were excited about seeing you but really we we're more excited about seeing exactly. YouTube, you know, so, You know what I'm saying? <laughs> and uh but I but I would say like I'm able to be creative. Matt enables me to be creative because he's one of the few persons in the world that I realize no matter what decisions I make because of my sense of uh, uh, my commitment to my integrity of conscience i know i have a friend who would understand that when nobody else would mm-hmm. so for that i, I love him to death you
3: yeah. know mm-hmm. that's i'd for days i mean this 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 friendship really it has saved me
2: mm-hmm.
3: and and if if part of that root word save means to make me whole then i realized that you know it this friendship in my the second half of my life has been probably the most important relationship, besides my wife, that I've had. And and I, it has changed me. Um, Cleve, um, Cleve has a gift of faith. Number one, he's the best leader I've ever been around. He's an eight on the Enneagram, for the <laughs> anagram Enneagram nerds. Um, and you know what, I don't, I mean, most eights that I've ever been up against are, are not, they're not nice people, <laughs> right? Um, and, and I think that I think they're blunt instruments that are useful in the world. You just don't want to hang out with a bunch of eights, right? Because they're not fun, oh. right? And they've always got an agenda. And I hope none of y'all are eights besides, besides – and, and, and Cleve is an eight <laughs> with an eight, eight wing, yeah. right? Okay, yeah, okay. Well, go to therapy. So, um, <laughs> But Cleve is the healthiest eight I've ever been around mm-hmm. in my life. Yeah, it matters. And he is an eight that's gotten connected to his childhood mm-hmm. and to his kid. And as he says, we let our kids run around and play in a way that we weren't able to play when we were actual kids. Mm-hmm. And so we we in, we invite each other's vulnerability. Not only invite it, it we almost summons it mm-hmm. um, out of each other. And because of that, I trust this this man with my life. Mm-hmm. Um, and I uh, I trust that what he sees about the future and the church and what he sees about my life and and the organizations that we're part of uh, are true. And I think that we we have what we bring, and then that Venn diagram about what happens in that watercolored area of both of our lives that I've come yeah. to trust. Right, and yeah. so I'll check things out with Cleve, and he'll get hunches from the Holy Spirit to call me into. To leave voice notes, and we have had a we've had a um, a spiritual dif- discipline of calling each other uh, once a week and praying with each other. Mm-hmm. Summer has disrupted that a bit, but that's something that will be um, something we do the rest of our lives because mm-hmm. that's a mm-hmm. place that we come together in. So I love it.
0: It is such a beautiful picture, and you all have used words like. I mean, humanity lifted. I mean, I love that, that you Mm -hmm. lift each Mm -hmm. other's humanity and that you summon vulnerability and that you love each Mm -hmm. other. And, okay, men, stereotypically, I get this, (laughs) don't generally have these kinds of friendships. So I'm just going to go there for just a moment um, and, and just say, I mean, I think, I mean, we know this, there's been all kinds of research and conversations about the fact that men struggle more than women to have friendships beyond their spouse, you know, those sorts of things. And, and so I, I mean, I would love a little wisdom, words of encouragement for men listening today who may not have a holy friend in their life. And I don't know if you have words of wisdom mm-hmm. or...
2: So, I mean, I'll, I'll say um, um, it's harder, and I, I can only speak for, for my. it's harder for some men to have... Fair. The, ...to be this kind of vulnerable with other people. I, I'll, I'll say that. It's, it's hard work, and I, and I will say, to get there, to really get the kind of meaningful relationship mad have we we admit first it was forged by fire and we also will say for us it was kind of activity of spirit in god yeah. right we'll, yeah. we'll admit that but also we'll say uh the way to it is through a lot of pain mm-hmm. yeah right but we had to knock down a lot of walls with each other and, it's, yeah. and it took years of experiences that we couldn't curate ourselves mm-hmm. yeah. it it required us we're trying to Forge a relationship while holding together communities that trust us individually, but not together. Right? Mm -hmm. So, and then they they trust us in our own community, be like, all right, clear, you're taking us over here. Now, you know, if this failed, you know, so we, in many ways had literally put our lives in each other's hands saying, listen, it's not just about me, but our relationship Depending upon it is a whole community of folk who will follow me because they think I got the right heart. And so you got to realize any kind of betrayal on your side is more than just affecting me. It's affecting a whole range of folk who depend. And likewise Matt said, listen i'm giving all my bringing all my power and privilege to bear my people in here now you know understand they they're feel they're gonna be sensitive so you know i'm gonna get all kind of meetings and calls all night about what y'all say so please you know i'm putting my life in yours too i may get fired you know what i mean and so we bring all that together yeah. and uh and I, and I and i also admit to you our relationship because of the dynamic of um our vocations that we that we are we both if you would get us we we'll both say yeah we are thinkers but for us it's not just a kind of uh, for me all of my thoughts are really just determinative of kind of conduct how can i better move to the world yeah the only reason why i ever did a phd was because i just had questions uh, but i have always been a reluctant academic in a in a strict sense of that mm-hmm. And i won't say that publicly but y'all can have that right mm-hmm. but i think for us the coming together and struggling was through a lot of grappling with pain and loss in community mm-hmm. we've all both suffered mm-hmm. a lot of loss as well you know, one door may open, but another, a lot of doors closed. We've lost a lot of friends. We've lost a lot of people who were in our corner. Uh, but through that all, we sat one time together at a coffee shop, and we made a covenant to each other before we even believed it and said, listen, you know, in the image of David and Jonathan, we think this thing can is what this is supposed to be. And that was immediately attested once we said it. That's right. And uh, so, so so, I say to folks, it's like you can have deep, meaningful relationships uh, with other men other christian men but you know the way the way through that for christian men i'm just going to argue is always going to be through through pain because yeah. our faith doesn't fortify us and shield us from pain but if you're two christians called to bear a cross and die in this world you got to be prepared for that now mm-hmm. me and matt don't want to die literally but but we say <laughs> we've a lot of deaths you know what i mean <laughs> and so uh so i'm just gonna say two christian men listening you really want to be friends uh, i would i would i would say to you what's rightly that god is going to test that sense of solidarity and commitment but also it can be the most meaningful thing in your life yeah. on the other side of nice. that yeah especially if you come from different, different communities let me just say it that way I may mean, add that too for people like me and matt who, matt had this phrase when we first met called improbable friendships mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. six seven years later i know exactly what he's yeah. talking about because we were very improbable yeah,
3: yeah. that's right yeah i have a, a friend that says the the miracle isn't that Jesus uh, walked on water. The miracle that he was a man in his thirties that had twelve friends,
2: <laughs> you know.
3: <laughs> oh, <laughs> and wow. I think that that's a lot of times there's not men and friendship is kind of an oxymoron. Yeah, because I, I do. I think that men are really we, we see each other as competition, and we see each other. We're 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 grown. We since we're boys, you know, uh, we see each other um as opposing what we're attempting to achieve and because of that i think a couple things happen i think we collude in silence are to to really hold and to not expose Mm -hmm. our own pain and our own wounding and so we we have these um we have these kinds of um of faces that we put on um, to each other um and we because of that we we um we have the tendency to step back from each other because we're uh each trying to compete for the same types of things and we see then uh, the things that we're competing against are, are are limited and if you get it i don't get it if you win then i lose and so it's set up in this binary uh, and and because of that we we collude in silence around yeah. our woundings and we have this kind of uh, we're raised not to speak but to to collude in silence mm-hmm. i think I think ultimately men's lives are governed by fear because of that. Um, And so I think that I think the anomaly is that when you have men that lead with curiosity and vulnerability, it's going it's going against like what we've learned in our culture. And so it feels really odd. Right. And I think partly what Cleve and I have experienced is like like. My spiritual director says another word for faith is just risk, and we've had to risk putting each other's lives in each other's hands and walking in a way that both of us don't know. We have to what what we don't know lead us, which which is you know, which is what we're taught not to do, we're taught to be certain and to you know and to and so I think faith says no. Actually, I'm going to put. Two people that don't belong together, that should have never met, that the world has actually um, um, engineered so that you would not meet each other. And if you do, you will operate out of these restic- restricted roles. And I'm going to put these things together. I think this is what Paul was talking about in the body of Christ. And all this, all this crap just comes down and you don't relate to each other based on these things. You take each other's histories um, very importantly. But you move beyond role-based um, ideas of each other, and that's where uh, that's where I think our friendship has deconstructed a lot of things for me in a really helpful way. So
2: yeah, that's real good. That's real good. Mm-hmm. I think also to to um, I hate the socialization of men is so yeah. con- constructed that yeah. Matthew says something important. We don't let too many of our weaknesses in on each other. We, we got a mask and try to guard uh, in certain ways. And so we, I mean, it was, it was slow, but more and more, every year we be, we've become closer and closer The more. We've been able to kind of let it down. And finally we just say, you know what, forget it. This is who I am. Right. And that's the risk there. It's very hard for two men to be emotionally vulnerable with each other. Right. It's kind of emotional intelligence register is a whole different realm for a lot of them, especially <laughs> raised in our generation. I'm a Gen Xer, mm-hmm. so is Matt, you know. So for us, we didn't come up with a whole bunch of emotional intelligence register. We didn't have, in my community, <laughs> wasn't no therapy around about sharing. No, wasn't <laughs> no, you know, there was no self-care involved. So, you know, so it's different, you know. It was it was a lot, like the spirit had to work through a lot with us, okay? If we were both raised to be uber men. We got together. No, we're going to solve the problems, you know. Um, but that, that key kind of emotion, to be able to communicate in uh, an emotional register to move beyond rationality, I think is the challenge of, of faith as well, to say no. There are two souls here, and what does that souls need? What's the soul after, even in this mission, yes. co-mission you feel called toward? Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: You all have really painted a, a, a gritty, authentic, not easy path. I mean, you started in tension, you leaned into pain, you you know, you stepped into <laughs> vulnerability. <laughs> <laughs> <Woo>. <laughs> this is this is a this is <laughs> tough stuff, but this is Jesus stuff, right? This is, Jesus this is what wow. Jesus is inviting yeah. us into over and yeah. over again. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Okay, so this is where I want to pivot actually and pick up on something we mentioned way back, but. If the church is all about the formation business, if you will, about forming people to be uh, a loving witness of Christ in the world, talk with me about how holy friendships, and especially like you have described, are a part of that. And what does that mean for the church? And what, what are pivots the church needs to make to, to lean into this?
2: I'm gonna let Matt Matt take the first stab at that. Let me think about (laughs) it. This
0: this feels really important for the church. Like we can't just sideline this conversation, right? This feels like it's at the heart.
3: Yeah, yeah, it does. It does. You know, first of all, I think I think uh, we have to um, rescue the word holy back Mm. into the Mm. space of the street because often, Mm. often puritanism and holiness or being clean and holiness or being righteous and holy are seen as synonymous and i think that the, at the end of the day holiness smells like sweat and feet and mm. and and at times puke you know mm. but it's not it's not pretty mm. right holiness isn't the prettiest dude you know, at the gym or the prettiest girl at the ball or whatever, whatever it's holiness is that thing that after everything's been burned down, you're, you're still holding on to, and you're going to rebuild with, mm. right? Mm. And so I, I think the church often, I think, I think in some ways, the only reason that Cleve and I are here is because one, our, our, the, 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 the imagination or faith gave us a hope that it could be different, but the iteration of the church that we grew up in impeded that. And mm-hmm. so often, that's why holiness happens outside mm-hmm. of the church. It okay, can yeah. happen inside yeah. of the church by it can't happen inside the church by its own um, design. And so um, often, the church doesn't recognize the things that are holy because it's got its eyes on the wrong things. Mm. And it's, it's counting things that shouldn't be counted. It's building mm. things at the end of the day that aren't going to mm. last. And it doesn't have, the, in some ways, a spiritual vision, ocular imagination, whatever you want to um, put to that, to be able to see what's happening around them. Mm. I actually think this stuff happens all around us. We just don't have eyes to see it or ears to hear it. Um, and I, I think that um, my hope is that the church will dissolve itself into an organization that becomes what it it's called to be um, which is something that I think Cleve and I are hoping to be a part of
2: you yeah, know, which is yeah.
3: much more relational, much more um, shared resourcing, much more wondering how each other are doing amid the, the struggles that we're in, you know?
2: That's right. I, just listening to Matthew, I think the word there here. I mean, uh, really our churches just have to get back to its its core, which is the ongoing struggle for community. It's the mm-hmm. Acts chapter two vision of having, yes. being on one yeah. accord, all things in common. If we just, our churches now have, have lost that. It has lost its sense of really making sure, no, everybody in this community is okay because we can't, yeah. We can't really extend our community unless we're being community with each other, if that makes sense. Right, right? And so no matter what strategic plan me and Matt may have for three and five years down alone, the group of people that we work with, uh, we fundamentally create a structure of care that the church, that we are creating a community vision that, we, that we're supposed to be a part of anyway. Right. So like even now, you know, I mean, like Matt and I will tell you, no, we will never give up on the institutional church. Why? Because they have all the tools. They have everything is there. Yeah, I mean, that's our job, right? I mean, it's, we're gleaning from it. But what, what what has lost is we've gotten, Matthew said it, we've made priority of things that are not the things that should be the priority, right? We've lost the vision of really forging and doing the hard work of community. Holiness is in the struggle for community. Holiness is not like I keep myself yes. Holiness is being willing to pick up a brother when they fall down. It's, mm-hmm. it's, it's, it's enabling folks in their community to come and say, listen, I don't have this together but we love you anyway, right? But more than that, uh that that's the very people that that God wants to be at the front is those who don't pretend to have it all together. And we got it back to it. Well, now we're more about sanctimony. And yeah. those who have the huh. the the kind of demonstration or at least a presentation of sanctimony, we put them up front. Well, no, I think the God's vision is totally different. It's saying no. To be holy is to be messed up, but appreciate the righteousness that has been credited to you <laughs> because of Christ. And y'all are working all this mess out together, but y'all are gonna remain community. Y'all might have a lot of stuff going on internally, but outside, nobody should know that because you are a community that's gonna struggle together. That's right. Now, I think if the church does that, gets back to that vision, just Acts chapter two, then God can do, <laughs> then God can do the miraculous,
0: the right? Just Acts chapter, yeah. chapter two. <laughs> just Acts <ask laughs> chapter two. That's, that's it. it. That's, it. Don't do that's that. That. all. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, we, we have a, a good friend who's who's a bishop in the church who loves the church who says, We have been engaged in a, a great exercise of missing the point. Mm,
3: um, yes.
0: It says yes. that about the church, right? And and uh and so I mean that's part of what you all are pointing to. And I love this notion of redefining re-understanding recapturing our essence our core of what holy means Mm -hmm. not as sanctimonious or as as uh sanctified or righteous or whatever but as gritty and real and connected to each other and holding each other in that in that holy space messy as it is right not all pretty yeah, to be the, the
3: kind of holiness I was handed as a child actually impeded mm-hmm. my ability to take risks. Mm-hmm. It told me that risk taking was part of the problem, that I should stay at home, that, mm-hmm. that it was mm-hmm. almost like I was given a pair of white sneakers, you know, at confirmation, mm-hmm. and to the mm-hmm. degree that I could keep my white sneakers clean was to the degree oh, that gosh. I would be judged. Right, That's and so I was going to be judged yeah. based on the lack of stuff on my sneakers, mm-hmm. and I just wonder as I look at this this Jesus who had no reputation that the church is really concerned about the reputation of Jesus, someone who didn't ha- didn't give two craps about his reputation, if if really. What it means is how dirty can we get our sneakers? Like, mm-hmm. how, how can we get the muck of the—and that means we've got to have a new vocabulary, a new image. What is it? I think Paul and Jesus talk about this stuff all the time. I think that really—and I'll just talk about the white church—we don't want to listen to it because it means that we have to give up our own security. And so I think, actually, we, we know exactly what to do, and mm. now we're being involved in this kind of deep, willful disobedience where we act ignorant. We're mm. not ignorant. No. We just know what it's going to cost us, mm. and we like our pensions too much. Yeah. We like yeah. our cars too much. We like our incomes too much. We like our reputations too much, right? And so we'll talk about pie in the sky in heaven all day long. But to actually give a shit about somebody in the zip code next to us, Uh, we don't. Mm -hmm. We don't believe in Jesus. We believe Mm. in our own security. Mm. That's what I have to say about that.
0: (laughs) Preach, my friend. Oh, my gosh. This invitation to this hard place. And this is the invitation that is Jesus's invitation to us in relationship with each other and the world. And, uh, and, you know, one other thing that I want to say to you too, I, I mean, there's just so much I'm taking away from this, but I love that these words that you both have said, and I've, and I've heard you say it before, I'm not giving up on the church. Mm, There's just too much there that God is still at work. And and that's certainly how we feel at Wesleyan Impact Partners and, and, Text Methodist yeah. Foundation, like we're not giving up on the church. We're all in. Like yep. God is yep. still doing a new thing, and so may it be so. So we're asking all of our guests this a, a final question. So complete the sentence. You know you're in a holy friendship when.
2: Um, you know you're in a holy friendship when you can just call and cuss, and the other person understands. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'll say this. Now, I hope I well, mean this if you if you, if you need to edit it. But I say I say like uh, Matthew, tell you, I, I am an eight, and so in my initial my initial response to certain stimuli, uh, it's not oftentimes thought through as I have been trained to think through. So I call Matthew often, uh, saying a whole bunch of stuff I just don't repeat, and he understands now. He understands my language. He's like, yeah, brother, and he knows exactly what that means. I say it to say you know you're in the holy friendship. When you can be yourself. That's really it. Yeah.
0: Yeah. yeah. That's
2: yeah when you so can good. be yourself. Yeah.
3: yeah. Wow. I think, um, you know, you're in a holy friendship when you feel disoriented, <laughs> discombobulated and still summons to move forward. Um, and then you, you find yourself in a place where you are loved more than you ever imagined. And, um, it's like, it's like a paradox, right? It's like, where you feel totally powerless and powerful at the same time, but it's not something of your own. I don't know. I think, I think Cleve is right. I think cussing probably has something to do with it. Um, but like, but also think like (laughs) (laughs) like vulnerability and, and taking risks together and then seeing stuff together that, you know, I mean, um, Cleve won't let me. Abandon myself. Mm, and I won't mm. let him abandon himself. Yeah. And I, 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 there's something holy about that.
0: Yeah. Yeah. There's yeah. something really holy about that. Well, Matt and Cleve, God has done and is doing a beautiful work in your friendship and in mm. you too and in your ministry. And I am so very grateful. And I pray God's blessing on both of you and your families. And thank you for spending time with us today.
2: Thanks for having us, Lisa. Good to be with you as well, Blair. Yeah, it's been an honor. Such an honor. Thanks.
0: Igniting Imagination is a production of the Leadership Ministry Team at Wesleyan Impact Partners with excellent editing support from TruthWork Media. Follow us on social media at Wesleyan Impact Partners. Visit our website at ignitingimagination.org and share our episodes with friends and colleagues. Our hope is that these conversations can spark imagination in your context. I'm Blair Thompson. On behalf of all of us at Wesleyan Impact Partners, thanks for listening.